for the summer. Let's go upstairs. Is your Hamilton listening still like? It's not as intense as before. Yeah. Because chess, chess, chess is back. Like, chess became your passion. Shame is so cranky. He's like, why, why are you listening to this? <gasps> Does he like, really not like it? He, he doesn't. So he, I don't think he knows it. And I think he's judgy because it's not, like the songs that he happens to walk in on all the time are like obnoxiously 80s. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, why, why is this happening? Yeah. He's so uncultured. <laughs> Josephine. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? Also doing quite well. Excellent. You made muffins today? I did make muffins. I felt very domestic. You are quite domestic. Thank you. In that you are house trained. Yeah. Hi everyone, this is my favourite musical. The podcast. The podcast. Uh, where we talk to you about our favourite musicals. Yeah, we don't. it's not a conversation because you don't talk back. It's actually my We're ideal. We're having a conversation though. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Just yes. It's not a dialogue between us and the audience. No. We wish it was. No. I do. You would. Yeah, I like people and you don't. <laughs> I do not. It's our 18th episode. It is. Welcome to episode 18. This is uh, This is where – this is the full episode is what yeah. I'm trying to say. The main episode. Don't forget that on Thursdays we have a mixtape episode – where we pick a topic and talk to you about songs from that topic. Yeah, we just really it's really just a way for us to tell you our favourite songs. And also we love making mixtapes. Oh, how good is it? Yeah. Yeah. Like just – it's just all of the years we spent as teenagers making mix CDs for yeah. each other. Yeah. Do you know what I think we should do? Like when this podcast ends, when we've talked about all the musicals, yeah. we should each have to make like the best of – Mixtape, but it's not just that it has to be the best of. The mixtape has to be balanced because you know when you listen to a mixtape and you want it to be like you want to have a good sense of an album. Yeah, in yeah, the exactly. Like they so need it needs flow and yeah. like um like highs and lows exactly. and like a chill song. Yes, yeah, so and maybe a bit of a through you know a mm. pattern perhaps. That's our challenge. Make a song cycle out of the mixtape. Oh, shit, <laughs> you went there. I did. Do you have any apologies for us today, Ruth? I don't. Do you? No. Nah. Well, actually, I have one on your behalf since I think you're not going to say anything. Okay. Um, you really rudely last week. What did I do? Way to start. When I said that your piano had been oh. had been shined, it had. Your husband. Yeah, had. I don't. I don't actually think we talked about the piano <laughs> on the episode. Well, did we? No, no I'm I don't sure think we did because so. I'd said last week. I said maybe off air. Your piano is really sparkly. And you said, fuck off. No, it's not. My husband, who also happens to be our sound engineer, was like, was so I had cleaned that piano. <laughs> Unfortunately, he has to listen to them too. <laughs> well, I apologise for something that maybe no one ever heard. Now yeah. I've outed you. You've outed me about bagging the piano that Josephine sits at to record every week. It's, so sp- it's still really shiny. It is really shiny. Good I love you, our Andrew. piano. It's beautiful. Yes. Um, do you have a spotlight? I do. I do. Um, today I want to talk to you about Serafina, the mm-hmm. musical. Excellent. I know. I actually, um, didn't realize that this musical came, f- um, came first and then they made the movie. Oh, so I didn't realize that either. Well, cause I've seen the movie. It's Scott Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know the film. Yeah. And, it, and so I just assumed when like knowing that there's a musical assumed it came after the movie. No, no. Is it that they're both based on the same source material? The movie is based on the musical. Wow. Yeah. So the musical was the first. It's not like there's no source. That's Oh. Well, the source is like some true events that happen. Okay. Let me yep. tell you a bit about it. So, yeah, the musical Serafina came first and then the musical was adapted into a film. I think that's actually really rare. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's not a musical film. It's just a no. film. I know. Crazy. So, anyway, uh, this is a 1988 musical with book, music and lyrics by Im- – I'm. let me just – Please, I'm sorry that I will get this yeah. wrong. in me Njina. Yeah. I, I looked at a couple of pronunciation websites to make sure I got that right. But, yeah. Um, he's a South African writer. So this musical is focused on the Soweto riots, um, basically just against apartheid in South Africa. And the musical itself, it's sort of like focused on the story of students. So there were student riots in Soweto um, in this time. So we're talking about the apartheid era, which is quite a – a, a long history yeah. in South Africa. The um, 
the musical made it to Broadway and played 597 performances. Oh, my God. I know. So that um, that was in 1989. It was nominated for Best Musical, Best Original Score, Best Choreography and Best Direction of a Musical. Wow. And Best Actress for Laliti Kumalo, who played Serafina. Like oh, my it, God. I, I mean, I I've heard of it, but I don't didn't know any of this. Well, no, like I, I'm the same as you. I knew of it. I didn't know it intimately and I certainly didn't know that it was sort of this – popular at the time yeah. so anyway um the music is really stunning it's really really beautiful music yeah. and I highly recommend you listen to the cast recording on Spotify I'm actually not sure if it's the Broadway cast recording if you just type in and I'll link to it but it's it's sort of not clear where that recording is from right. yeah so I don't know what sometimes that like the is. ID3 tags are kind of yeah. weird yeah, yeah there's some stuff missing there so yeah. I don't know what that recording is but it's beautiful so yeah. listen to that um I've also linked to a Tony's performance, which is a really dynamic performance, despite the fact that Angela Lansbury introduces them and mispronounces the name of the musical. Oh, yeah, oh. that's a pretty simple title. It's and also, like, she was pretty young then. Yeah, but like, <laughs> she doesn't even have the excuse of being no. like old and doddery. So yeah, it's it's just a really important subject matter, obviously, but also a majority. I think it's a completely um, a cast of um, people of color. Yeah. And just, it was just really beautiful music. Like yeah. the way it's staged too is pretty cool. Like they do a lot of, um, they have this sort of like barbed wire fence between the actors and the band and the yeah. band are all on stage, but they're all in costume, um, which for the eighties is pretty um, groundbreaking. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah, it's a super cool musical and I recommend you get your ears into it. I definitely will. Yeah, Serafina. I love like I love that kind of like South African um gospel style, yeah. like the Soweto Gospel Choir. Exactly. And, um, and it's really it's really rhythmic. It's really like and the voices are so vibrant and, yeah. and sort of joyous. So there's a lot of that in the musical. Like Paul Simon's Graceland's one yeah. of my favorite albums and stuff like that. Like yeah. I love that sort of style of music. I'll definitely listen to that. Yeah, you should. Um, so for my spotlight this week, I have just kind of a couple of news items that are relevant. Great. Um, the first of which being that it was announced just recently that uh, the musical Once on This Island, which we've mentioned on this podcast before in different ways, is being adapted into a film by Disney+. Plus. Oh. Yeah. So, um, but what the good news is because that, you know, you may know that Once on This Island is written by Aaron's and Flaherty who are white composers but that that the subject matter is not really mm. like inappropriate to have been written by white composers yeah uh set in the caribbean etc so it's being adapted by J- um jocelyn bio who wrote um schoolgirls or the african mean girls play which was like oh, quite cool. acclaimed yes yeah. yes um and uh She's also happens to be one of the co-founders of the Instagram account I talked about a few weeks ago, Black Women on Broadway. Oh, nice. Yeah, so um, she's a fantastic writer and it's also being directed by a woman named Wanuri Kahu, who's from Kenya. Um, so it's also quite amazing that it's like she's literally like an African director who's oh, wow. um, ad- um, doing the direction. So it's really great that uh, it's being recreated by two women of colour basically. That's great. Um, and I really hope that they cast Alex Newell. <gasps> please, please. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll see who was, of course, in the re- recent revival. Um, and is amazing. My other piece of news is that Laduka Shoes, who is like one of the major shoemakers for – performers like yeah and um particularly like if you're buying character shoes um so they there was quite a movement obviously after um all of the recent black lives matter um you know protests and everything basically for things like shoes and everything like when we talk about what skin color yes is like you know when that is represented in fashion in makeup mm. in all these things like that that should be more diverse and also mm-hmm. actually represent more skin colors than just well, a yeah. white skin color because for some context if you buy character shoes or chorus shoes you can really buy black or skin color and yeah. the skin color is really just it's like, like beige it's beige yeah so yeah yeah so they came out with um for all of their various character shoes they now have four shades wow. that everything comes in. That's great. Um, and I know that around the same time, Capizio, who are like one of the main like ballet shoe, like point shoe makers, well. yeah, yeah. Um, they did a similar thing. That was in response to a change.org petition wow. um, that they did that. But, yeah, it's just good to see that, I mean, like. Such a simple change. Exactly. Like such a simple thing. And what I really hope is that um, 
even if those um, shoes don't sell in as big a numbers, uh, like the ones that are yeah. the darker skin colours as the, you know, beige colours, it's like just because you're not selling as many doesn't mean you shouldn't have oh, them. Oh, no. And I think about particularly young girls, say a young a young girl who's doing ballet yeah. could finally have ballet shoes in her, maybe exactly. close to her tone. Exactly. Like, how amazing is that? I know. So that's That's really wonderful news. Yeah. So I just thought that was worth highlighting. That was a good spotlight. Thank you. Yay. Okay. Theatre Explained today. Yeah. What do we got? So we thought we'd talk about all of the stages. Tell us. What Upstage, that downstage, um, onstage, offstage. Yes, nice, et cetera, nice. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, cool. Do you want to start us off? Sure. I could start and finish it off if you yeah, want. There's not much to say. <laughs> Look, um, interestingly, back in the day, stages used to be raked, meaning they used to be raised because yeah. um, audience seating was sort of flat on a flat. Mm. So it would be important for the stage to be raised at the back so that all of the actors could be seen if you're at the back of the stage or at the front of the stage. So literally to go downstage used to mean to go down the, like yeah, the like ramp a, like a to ramp, the front yeah. of the stage. So downstage is the front of the stage and upstage is the back of the stage. Yeah. And because you use those words down and up, for something else, then everything else needs to have different sort of pronouns. So, for example, on stage and off stage, being on is literally being like seen by the audience. Yeah. Being off stage is not. So walking off like to the wings of the stage. Yeah. But then there's also in and out. So in is if something is flown into the theatre. So like you've got something up above like on the fly system. Yeah. When it comes technically down you can't say come down because downstage means something else yeah. so you have to say in so you'd fly something in and then you fly it out yeah, when you yeah. get rid of it from view of the audience yeah so, exactly yeah um some- i also really loved that of course that is how we get the term upstaging someone yeah that's because right. it's like if you wanted the focus on you you would move further higher up higher the rake yeah. so that the audience could see you more yeah that's so moving right. further upstage and that's where we get that term from exactly yeah, it's pretty I re- cool i've really enjoyed that yeah that's been theater explained <laughs> indeed um do you have any recommendations oh my god yes i do excellent so i love the podcast musical splaining which we've talked about here before many yeah. times it's a great podcast but the episode about Hamilton so for me it was recently released and I listened to it and it was so good it was really great so it's like it's balanced it's funny it's clever I didn't feel like I was just listening to people who um maybe you know willy-nilly just loved Hamilton people yeah. who had intelligent reasons for feeling the way they did and also about it. um it was really great because like Carve. Um, the whole point is like he doesn't like, he doesn't musicals, like musicals and yeah. finally he liked one. So yeah. that was great. And, the, and he says it really well. He's like, this this seems like a perfect musical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just listen to it. It's really good. Um, so I've got uh, two quick ones. One is just this Instagram account that I'm obsessed with, which I post a lot about. Yeah. But basically it's called Let's Hear It for the Choice. Oh, you love that page. I do. And it's just like clips of people like <laughs> singing cool stuff, shit. making ridiculous vocal choices generally good sometimes I'm like oh that was a bit much but generally they're amazing and often it's like footage from like some shitty high school theater production but yes. the, the purpose but stars are amazing like really yeah. good. <laughs> and I just it's great I'm gonna link to it that one that you sent me there was a video you sent me from there the other from day Joseph. yeah from Joseph it was so good just this girl who's actually like a very famous um like Filipino um, oh, yeah. performer um like now, now. like there's like her being the narrator right and yeah. just like Totally and it's from like 10 years it. ago and it's some like grainy video <laughs> and she, it's, it's, um, it's, insane. it's so good. Yeah. Um, my other one, which I actually haven't seen, but that I'm aware of exists. So I'm going to recommend it. Okay. Is that Disney on their YouTube channel, the Disney Cruise Line. Um, well, I don't know if it's their YouTube channel, but if you YouTube this, you'll find it or I will link it, have released, um, the pro shot version of Tangled. Awesome. That is on that they perform on the Disney Cruise Lines. So like it's a one hour musical version of Tangled. Oh, shit. Um, That's so great. And it's fully, fully professionally filmed. So I'm sure there'll be lots of people who love that. That's cool. Yeah, in fact I need to watch it. Yeah, we should. What's so so accessible an hour? That's great. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we'll link to that too. It's interesting you mentioned Disney. Ooh. Is this a segue? Well, am I first today? You are. Yes, it is a segue. Today I'm gonna to be talking about the Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. Disney's The Little Mermaid. Disney's The Little Mermaid. As they would have you say. That's right. I love this quite problematic 
sexist, <laughs> troubling, disturbing story. Yeah. Um, look, I actually love this musical despite the problems of the story, which I'll talk about. So The Little Mermaid was produced by Disney Theatrical. It's based on the animated 1989 Disney film. Did you know it was 1989? I did because it's like the first one, right? Yeah, yeah, like, for, like after all the old ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's based on the 1989 Disney film of the same name and the classic 1837 story of the same name by Hans Christian Andersen about a mermaid who dreams of the world above the sea and gives up her voice to find true love. Oh, it's <laughs> so sweet, so romantic. <laughs> love it. So it's got a book by Doug Wright, music by Alan Menken and lyrics by Howard Ashman because he wrote the um, lyrics for the film but then with additional lyrics by Glenn Slater because obviously oh, okay, by then yeah. um, Howard Ashman had passed away. Glenn Slater did um, something maybe on School of Rock or he's done a few different yeah, things over Yeah, he's done quite a lot. And he's sort of come up on Alan Menken's. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the plot. I'm assuming everyone has seen the film or is at least aware of it, but here's a highly abridged plot. Prince Eric doesn't want to fall in love and be king, blah, blah. He's on a ship and he hears a beautiful voice and decides to follow that voice, like a singing voice. Meanwhile, underwater, Ariel is a mermaid princess who is the daughter of King Triton, a xenophobic, incredibly (laughs) controlling merman. (laughs) With actual like serious Merman. anger issues, Sorry, yeah. Merman, Zoo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I have issues with him. Can you tell? So Ariel's obsessed with human things and has a secret collection of them. She happens upon Prince Eric, who's like thrown overboard during a storm, and she saves him. It's actually the only moment of something sort of remotely not sexist happening in the entire story. Yeah particularly in the film, which I'll I'll talk about in a sec. Um, So she then also instantly falls in love with him, with this unconscious, half-trowned man. Yeah. Seems really – anyway. Fast forward. She decides to make a deal with her Aunt Ursula, a sea witch, uh, whereby she will give up her voice for three days in exchange for legs to get Prince Eric to fall in love with her. What follows is the main female character not really saying a word for a good chunk of the show. Nice. Uh, eventually all is well. Ariel gets her voice back and gets married at age 16. Yay. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's the plot of The Little Mermaid. So some background. Basically, Disney Theatrical had some success with stage adaptations of their animated films. So they'd had Beauty and the Beast in 1994 and The Lion King in 97. I say some success because I think Beauty and the Beast – is a bit of a hot mess of a musical. Yeah, although it was very successful as although, a show. Although, like, critically panned. Yeah. But, yes. But, you know, oh, so has been so many things. That's yeah. right. And for Disney, it's just money, right? So the head of Disney Theatrical approached Alan Menken, who had composed the music for the film, um, to, to create, like, a Broadway show. So they originally brought on a director, choreographer, Sir Matthew Bourne, to take charge. Oh. Um, he left pretty quickly when his vision sort of differed from what Disney wanted the musical to look like. So then Francesca Zambello was brought on board to help solve the issue of the majority of the musical being set underwater. It's a pretty major sort of thing to solve on stage. (laughs) Stumbling block, yeah. Yeah. She actually had a background in like fantasy opera sort of set. So that that to me in my head is a really good marriage. If you've ever seen an opera, particularly like a a modern imagining of like uh, the magic flute or, you know, all of those, you can really, you can understand why you would get a person with an opera background to maybe imagine an underwater world. So... Then they added on the uh, the playwright Doug Wright. He was brought in to sort of fix the aerial problem because mm. I think Disney realised pretty quickly that there was an issue with the storyline of the original film right? and the original story. So in Doug Wright's words, he wanted the storyline to focus more on Ariel's longing for a world in which she sort of felt realised as a person on her own terms. So like – he wanted it to be clear in the Broadway musical that her ambitions are bigger than any man. Okay, right. And I get that that was the intention. I don't think it translated. Okay, right. Yeah. Anyway, Alan Menken brought on Glenn Slater to write 10 new songs for the stage musical to complement the songs from the film, which is really common because, like, movies are a lot shorter and, yeah, there's a lot more exposition in movies, so musicals need a lot more songs. Um, They added this really cool pastiche of sort of 60s rock and – a bit of Brechtian Cabaret and some vaudeville and just some really cool vibes to the show with, yeah. the, with the supplementary music. So it was then decided that there'd be no actual water on stage. So the original concept was like they'd have water on stage. Right. And then that was like 
thrown out. It's too difficult. It's also so expensive. Yeah. So they instead used a lot of lighting effects and like really filmy fabrics to create lots of movement on stage. Yeah. Also, the underwater characters wore Heelys. Yes. Which for the production were renamed Merblades, <laughs> which is pretty cool, um, to give the appearance of them gliding rather than walking. Yeah. So a lot of their costumes like would have tails that sort of come over the wheelies and the tails sort of have a bit of movement in them so it looks like they're swimming. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. So rehearsals for the show began in 2007 in New York. There was a seven-week rehearsal period before out-of-town tryouts began. And then we get into the fun stuff. So it had a six-week tryout in Denver. Yeah. So random, actually, Denver. Yeah, it's a pretty big theatre, like, out-of-town theatre city. Yeah, I know, but, like, normally it's... Not in Denver. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so this six-week tryout was completely sold out. Something like 95,000 tickets were sold for that yeah. tryout, which is just huge. So, yeah, it was a huge theatre. Um, the previews began at the Lunch Fontaine Theatre in November 2007, but it was shut down like pretty quickly after it started. It was like a week after it started um, because of the stage oh, yes. strike. I was in New York. <laughs> yes, you were there. So, yeah, that shut down. It The... Previews opened after the strike start, like um, finished, and then the show opened in January 2008. It closed in August 2009 after 50 previews and 685 performances. Mm. So, like a moderate, a yeah. Good I like my understanding is for Disney, it was considered a bit of a failure. Yeah, it's but not like yeah for a lot of other shows that wouldn't be that. Bad. Yeah, that's a really decent run for most shows, but for Disney, it's not a great yeah not a great response. The Broadway cast, though, was pretty bitchin'. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so you had Sierra Bogus as Ariel. Yeah. I actually think this was her debut. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because that's a while ago. Yeah. And she was so beautiful as Ariel. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so she has a beautiful voice. Um, Sean Palmer was Prince Eric, who you may you may know him as the on-screen, very good-looking boyfriend of Stanford Blatch. From Sex and the oh. City. Do you remember in season six when Stanford's yeah. and I think he ends up being like a like a male sex worker, yes, maybe? That's right. It, it's a hilarious romance. Like he's really good looking. Yeah. And he sings so well. Like wow. yeah, so that's him. Um obviously because Sex and the City is set in New York, they have a lot of Broadway actors yeah. on that show. Had, I should say, talking about it like it still yeah. exists. <laughs> it ended so long Loser. ago. <laughs> um Norm Lewis played King yes. Triton. Oh. Ugh. Cherie Renee Scott as Ursula oh, just. and the most perfect of all, lovely Titus Burgess as Sebastian. Yeah, that is a fucking bitching cast. What a cast, cast yeah, right? Yeah, Such a cast. Yeah. It's also cool to think of like Cherie Renee Scott and Titus Burgess on the same stage. I know. Like that doesn't seem like they would be in the same show together. Yeah. Just from knowing those two performers. But anyway, such a good cast. So once the show opened, audiences pretty much loved it. Like it's a Disney musical. It's marketed to families. Families loved it. Yeah. Which is fair enough. That's fine. But critics were properly mixed. Like yeah. you, you had no middle ground there. They hated it or they loved it. Um, some said it was total trash. And some said it was like the best of that Broadway season. Yeah, interesting. Which is really interesting. Like some really sort of reputable critics. Yeah. So mm, tough one. It was only nominated for two Tony Awards. It was nominated for Best Original Score and Best Lighting Design and it didn't win either. Yeah. It was nominated for a few drama desks, didn't win anything. I mean, to be honest, Disney generally, obviously since Lion King, Lion yeah. King did very well. It just um, doesn't really it, – it's not celebrated. It's not the sort of thing that Tony's like to – No. Like Frozen got fuck all. And well, I sort of understand. Like mm. that's not what they're in it for either. You're right and you're mm. right. And they don't need the Tonys. They don't need the Tonys. Necessarily yeah. to – yeah, fun. So shows. yeah, but it was interesting. I maybe think some of the performances deserved a Tony, but yeah, not, they weren't even nominated. Yeah, interesting. So there've been a bunch of productions. There was a US tour in 2014, which is actually a really big gap between the Broadway, yeah. like Broadway. So that closed in 2009, and then there was this five year gap before the US yeah, tour started. It's really random. Um, there was a production in Israel. Philippines, the Netherlands, Russia, Denmark, Belgium, Brazil. And they're really, this is, you'll love this, a very notable run in Japan, which opened in 2013 and it moved from Tokyo in 2017 to another city, but it was still running when COVID shut everything down. Wow. From 2013. The musical theatre scene in Japan is so insane. Yes. Yeah. 
That's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Loved it. That was a fun fact. Yeah. Um, okay, so the music, the music's really just classic Disney, I reckon. Like it's sort of iconic Disney. Um, it also though has really like great nods to classic music theatre, like almost golden age music theatre. Yeah. Like the Overture, for example, is like anything you would hear from Rodgers and Hammerstein or yeah, something. Right. Like it's really quite classic. Um Really traditional orchestral stuff. But there are also these like hints of Caribbean music, obviously, if you know, Under the Sea, some great vaudeville nods. Most of Ursula's songs are like vaudeville and a couple of cute sort of Motown-esque numbers, which I love. Um, I would say it's just enjoyable, varied music. And, I mean, we know that Mencken and Ashman are like awesome. The best. The best. So, yeah, they write bangers. Yeah. 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 Some fun facts. Are you ready? Yes. Sierra Bogus, who played Ariel in the original Broadway cast, was an ice skater. So she had no trouble with the Heelys. Yeah. But apparently, like, everyone else struggled. Yeah. So, like, they had this really intensely short rehearsal period where everyone was just falling over all the time. I bet. Because it's really hard. And because the, the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, they're like they're like sneakers that have a little, um, a little wheel at the end of them. So they're not like rollerblades or roller skates where you're always on wheels. It's also like a shoe. Yeah. So if you don't lift the front of your foot correctly, you won't be on a wheel. Yeah. And you'll like stop really suddenly. So it's, it's quite a skill yeah. to be on heelys. So, yeah. But I love that like ice skating and Healy's are yeah yeah anyway so one of the issues that I had with the film because I re-watched it recently yeah is the Ursula character as a villain yeah there's just not that much that she actually does wrong in the film yeah actually if you break it down she's a bit of a badass actually she's like probably just a really shrewd businesswoman yeah who has maybe some questionable business practices yeah um to address this demonization like of a seemingly independent woman, like the only independent sort of female character in the film, the stage show added a side story in which Ursula and King Triton are siblings and she's responsible for murdering all of their other siblings as well as Ariel's mother. (laughs) So, yeah, like they decided to make her like an actual villain instead of just a strong woman and demonising her. But I love that they had to add that, oh, she's murdered like 12 people or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Funny. Um, the also interestingly, the alter ego, Ursula's alter ego of Vanessa, is removed from the stage show completely. Oh. So there's no showdown between two women, which is definitely an improvement. Like yeah. we don't need two women fighting over a man. We don't need that visual. Um, so I'm going to talk about the problems that I have with the okay. with the storyline. The original movie does not age well. So we can yeah. I read quite a few articles about this actually and I pretty much agree. So some of the issues with the stage show still exist. There is a serious lack of female dialogue. Right. For obvious reasons. Like it's literally a major plot point that Ariel loses her voice. (laughs) She has to charm her prince some other way. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Why is that a plot point? That she loses her voice but she's still so beautiful or, or whatever that she can charm this prince into falling in love with her. Like what the such a shit yeah it's so bullshit and also like why on earth are we telling stories about girls not even women like she's a girl yeah having to give up their literal literally 16 she's 16 in the film yes wow yes (laughs) yeah so why are we telling these stories about girls having to give up their literal entire life and family for a man yeah like she 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 leaves her home she changes from a mermaid into a human like it's not just, oh, my God. Yeah. I've mentioned the other issues that I have, like Ariel's dad being a dick and Ursula being guilty of not much more than, like, shady business practices. So I'll leave it there. But I have major problems with the whole idea of Ariel and have, and then, like, she just gets married and she falls in love. Anyway, it's problematic. Guys. When I was a kid, my mum had this book called Feminist Fairy Tales and it was all just feminist retellings of Amazing. all the, like, What was The Little Mermaid? I'm where trying she to just, remember, like, but it was just basically – She just decided that – it was basically like she decided that she didn't need him. Like she got her legs and she was like, see ya. <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love your mum. Yeah, She's I know. such a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I had such a like hippie feminist upbringing That's in that sense. exactly how it should be. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so gateway songs. I'm going to suggest you listen to Part of Your World. I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know it's predictable. It's this really beefed up, like, sexy orchestrations, the whole – like, and Sierra Boggs just, like, nails it. Yeah. 
she's got she, such an interesting voice because she's not a belter. No, but she has some beautiful mix. She's got a lovely at the top. End. She has like of of the sort of sopranos, if you will, like working. You know, con- like you, she's ca- got the most you power, can't name that say. many. Yeah, she's got quite a lot of power, but also just it's so clean mm. and like, and yeah. yet she has incredibly high notes as well, which I guess she doesn't really show off that much. Yeah, in this show. But, yeah, just, like, when I think of, like, say, like, her and Kelly O'Hara and Laura Benanti, Mm. like, yeah, it's just, like, a beautiful, pure kind of sound. Yeah, like, just for context, if you haven't heard her, she also has played Christine in Phantom of the Opera, so she's she's capable of that, of that sort of legit soprano. And she's in the... Love in the original. Love never she's dies. The original Christine in Love Never Dies yeah, as well. That's yeah. right. So she's so, played Christine in two different fans. Yeah, like she's a proper legit soprano. But yeah. in in this, she definitely sounds like a Disney soprano. Yeah, it's more like a poppy. Poppy. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um. So interestingly, the original Broadway cast recording is not available on Spotify. Oh. Yeah, it used to be definitely, and you know when you go into Spotify and there's like you can see the album, but it's all grayed out. It means that it's not available in fucking Australia. Yeah. So this song is, Part of Your World is available. So I've put that in the playlist. Um, I also recommend you listen to Poor Unfortunate Souls. I mean, yeah. And this was a tough one. So Poor Unfortunate Souls is Ursula's song. I was either going to go with um, She's in Love, the Flounder song. Okay. Or Her Voice by Prince Eric. And I ended up going with Her Voice. Okay. because I think it's it that those three songs give a really good like picture of the show, and also that's a really easy. There's it's a very clear like love ballad. Yeah. To get into the show, and his voice is really beautiful. Okay. So I'll link them in the show notes. You'll have to go to YouTube. Soz. Um, I'm also going to link. Sorry, I'm just talking forever about Little Mermaid. I, I reckon I, I know what this is going to be. Go okay, on. yeah, yeah. I'm going to link to this awesome video that I've watched a million times of Sheree Renee Scott getting prepared behind the scenes to be oh, Ursula. Okay, that's not it. Go on. <laughs> um, so it's this awesome video where they like it's just the day of the show and you go through and you and she takes you through the backstage and meets like the stage manager and you see her getting ready to be Ursula. Yeah, and she's really funny. So. The costumes and the makeup. This oh, is yeah. crazy. So you should also watch, and I'm going to link it, Titus Burgess doing Under the Sea. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, my God. He does this note right in the middle of the song that is just like, what is it? It's yeah. crazy. It's like in not human. It's not human. He is a freak. He's so awesome. So I'm going to link those two videos and you should watch them and that, love them. That Under the Sea video would be one of my favourite YouTube videos of all time. Oh, I've watched it that many times. Yeah, literally just that section though. Like oh, I just yeah, go to that section. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and just watch that because there's like a little bit of an interview or something in the video as well. And yeah, it's sort of – it's almost it's like, like morning television, yes, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And they, yeah, oh, it's so good. So good. The funny thing is, like, I've heard, like I've never seen it on stage. No. Um, so well, I wouldn't actually, have because it's never been done in Australia. No, no. Um, and yeah, and I, I've always wanted to because I, I, I did like the film a lot growing up, and mm. I love Alan Menken and everything. I so I've seen an amateur production of it. Yeah, I didn't get to see that production yeah, that right. a lot of our friends were involved in. I, I was overseas. It was a, it was a really great production. Yeah, I it wish really I, ha- I just wish I had because I just would love to see the show. It's so joyful. Yeah, like if you can get past the issues with the story, the actual show. It's there's no issues with the show itself, and I think they do a really good job of being underwater and. Like the the issues that I have are integral to the plot, yeah. not necessarily the actual <laughs> it's, show. It's more like just ingrained sexism in our society. Oh, that's that right. Yeah. Like, Why are we perpetuating these fairy tales that are so fucked up? Yeah. I do remember um, seeing some interviews or something, even like possibly with one of the original cast members, like one of the smaller roles where they basically said that it, it was a it was a little bit, you know how like with Susical how. Oh, uh, yeah. Like it, it had just, to be in it. Yeah, but also like you know how with Susical they like replace them all with like really simple costumes and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think they felt a bit like that with Little Mermaid, oh. like that it wasn't nearly as um, as magical, magical as it could be. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of the cast didn't necessarily agree with like the way that it was directed. Yeah, mm. I did read a bit about that because I know like the original director who was supposed to be involved really imagined like quite a magical. Yeah, and you know having actual water and really making it, but I think they maybe bitched out a little bit with the heelys and the fabric and i think it's really interesting then when you look at the fact that with frozen like alex well alex well 
No, like really? Alex Timbers was the original director who, you know, did Peter and the Starcatcher yes. and like he's done quite a few different shows over the years and in like the Rocky where it was like in a, like a, in the round. Yeah, and the like ring an actual was in ring. the middle yeah. of the, of the um, audience and all this and um, like really quite incredible, like it's staging he yeah. is. And he, it was a similar thing. He sort of left having creative differences with Disney. It, it feels like they're so conservative. Well, like. but also I think they're just, I mean, they're very aware of their brand and mm. stuff like that. And interestingly, I would say like the main criticism I've heard of Frozen is that they don't go magical enough. Like yeah. it's not, it doesn't, not in the way that like the Lion King, you yeah. are transported into another world. Yes. It's so interesting that they were happy to be really groundbreaking then and yeah. now they're just sort of – it feels like just playing it safe. Well, I just think it's the world we live in now. And also like that was – back then it was like they weren't as established doing as Broadway a shows. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. But, I, I mean, I don't feel like families will be, you know – less likely to go see a Disney musical if they maybe use some cool staging. I know. You know, like, eh. Yeah. It is a shame because – and when you watch that, when you watch the Under the Sea video, you'll get a really clear picture of how they made it look under the sea and it it just looks like actors on roller skates. Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. It's And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like if that looked great, great. But at other times you're going, so this is the bunch of people in Healy's? Like, yeah. It's, is this it? Is this, is this all you could do? Yeah. <laughs> Take a shoe that already existed. And yeah. Yeah. Well, when like the magic of theatre sometimes is that stuff, like. Yeah. Let's make it magical. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, it's interesting. It is indeed. Little Mermaid. That was a Little Mermaid. Well. How many weeks do you think we can go without a Sondheim? Not many. Oh, are we doing Sondheim? We are. Fuck, yes. We are doing <gasps> Me- Merrily We Roll Along. Um, so this is a Sondheim show that, you know, like we've talked obviously about a lot of Sondheim shows already what? on the podcast. We haven't, we haven't talked about nearly enough. <laughs> I mean, that's also true. <laughs> um, but what I will say is that unlike a lot of the other ones I've already talked about, um, this is a show that I didn't really fall in love with until I was an, an adult. Oh, for sure. Like, I don't think it's a show you can appreciate until yeah. you're older. I remember listening to it when I was quite young and being like, what? Yeah. What really not getting it. Yeah. I mean, I always loved Not A Day Goes By. That's always yes, been a course. song that I've loved. Yeah. But that's kind of one of the only standalone songs out mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like this was really just a show. Like it was like until I was really in my like mid to late 20s that I – appreciated it and it's understood so the show. Yeah. Yeah. And um and I actually think that like, especially as I've been researching it this week, that it's kind of obvious now. It's like, oh yeah, it's about knowing what you've lost in life. Yeah. Like you gotta actually Yeah. yeah. And I have to say that like once I did start to like it, I fell really hard and really fast. You did. Yeah. Like, like I love this show. And, um, and yeah, for a show that were unlike Into the Woods and Sweeney Todd and Company, they were all shows I loved as a teenager. Yeah. Even Company with themes of. Well, um, but Company songs are so good. I like they're all it. standalones. I think that's it. Yeah. So it's just that it's those themes of growing up and losing friends and like dreams, maybe not working out the way that you had planned them to, that mm. you kind of need to be an adult to appreciate. I'll also add, that it has my second favorite overture of all time. Of course. To Gypsy. After Gypsy. <laughs> um, so, Merrily Roll Along. So, music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, book by George Firth. Um, it is based on the play Merrily We Roll Along by George S. Kaufman and Moss Hart. Um, so, the story, it's. Um, it starts in 1981. We're in 1981 and it moves backwards in time through to 1957. I love that. Yeah. I mean, what is it with being backwards musicals as well? Yes. Well, you're quite backwards. Um, so basically through a series of scenes and songs, it tells the story of the friendship between Franklin Shepard, who is a composer and movie producer, Charlie Kringus, who is his um, uh collaborator in music, and Mary Flynn, who is a writer and critic. And it also tells the relation, the story – Stories of the relationships of his two wives, Beth and Gussie. That's Franklin's relationships with those women. Yeah. So a bit of background. So how Prince and Sondheim are at the height of their success, right? Oh, yeah. When this is written. So this follows Company, Follies, A Little Night Music and Sweeney Todd. Yeah. If you're starting to twinge, I did mention this exact event. Yes. In the Sunday the Park with George episode. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's kind of the catalyst for It's the catalyst for... So second wave Sondheim. Yeah. So we are at like, like Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim are like yeah, major collaborators. Yeah. So Hal Prince obviously like 
is the director of this show and yeah. they're, they're working close together. Um, so they're doing this show and it doesn't have an out-of-town tryout but instead decides to open cold in New York just with a longer preview period. Um, it starts previews at the Alvin Theatre, which is now the Neil Simon Theatre, on October 8th, 1981. It only ran for 44 previews and 16 performances. It's honestly the, it's the most tragic Broadway story. Yeah, it really is. Um so the show changed a lot during previews, um, like just because audiences weren't getting certain things and they were sort of desperately changing different things. Like they they replaced the choreographer in that time. They replaced the actor playing Frank in that oh, time. Oh, shit, yeah. did they? Yeah, yeah, like early on. Like so Jim Walton wasn't the, the actor oh originally. Oh, my God. Um, they also, in, in what we were just talking about with like Susicle and. Um, yeah, like Panic. And Once on this Island. Not Once on this Island, Little Mermaid. Uh, it's also Little Mermaid, really, Once on this Island. Yeah. Um, but basically, they replaced all the costumes with just sweatshirts written with like who the person was. So, like, ex wife. Like, it was wife oh, and wow. then ex wife for. Um, it's almost for like Beth. epic theatre, then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And like, then, like, best pal for Mary and best friend for Charlie oh. and things like that. So, like, literally just white sweatshirts with like writing on them. Why? I know. Why? Um, and because of the failure of this, like that it was such a big flop, this basically marks the end of Sondheim and Hal Prince's like incredibly successful collaboration yeah. that um, they don't work together for another 20 years. They reunite in 2003. They did bounce together in 2003. Well, I mean, it was also the end of – it was nearly the end of Sondheim. That's right, as you said. Yeah. Like, he just nearly – this destroyed him. Yeah, and in fact like – the book that, you know, we've mentioned before the two books of Sondheim lyrics, um, Finishing, Finishing the, the Hat, hat and, and Look, I Made a Hat. So Merrily We Roll Along marks the end of Finishing of the course. Hat. And then it's like J- the James Lapine. Yeah, like, enter James Lapine. Exactly, yeah. for Look, I Made a Hat. So the biggest issue um, that people had with the show and really what was the real big issue with that original Broadway cast was the decision to cast teenagers and have them play from the ages of 18 to sort of mid-40s mm. um, because they sort of realised that actually no teenager has the ability to do that yeah. convincingly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. So it only gets one Tony nomination, that original, um, which was for best score. Um, well, yes, good. Well, yes. Um, uh, by the way, this is who it was up against. Ready. So this is the 1982 Tonys. Okay. Now, might I say, like, this isn't exactly a high point for musical theatre this period, Oh, right? no, this is like the depths of musical theatre. So I sort of feel like this is a pretty amazing year, really, when you think about it. So it didn't win. The musical Nine won. Hmm. It won a lot. It won Best Musical that year yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, Dreamgirls. Oh. And Joseph of the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, so a big year. A big year. Like in the midst of not very big years, that was a big year. Yeah, right. And when you look at it now, so unlike some other years, all of those are still popular shows. That's exactly right. That's rare. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. They weren't nominated for Best Musical. The show that was, that wasn't nominated for um, Best Score was Pump Boys and Dinettes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I don't know very well. but It's not performed that often. So, um, you know, like – it doesn't it doesn't get great reviews. Some shows do review it well, but like the New York Times doesn't give it a very good review. And in mm. fact, Frank Rich, um, very famous um theatre critic from the New York Times, opens with as we all should probably have learned by now, to be a Stephen Sondheim fan is to have one's heart broken at regular intervals. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Imagine reading that if you're Sondheim. Yeah. And I know that he, like, takes stuff on board. I know. I know. Oh, God. So, yeah, so it closed after only two weeks, which is such a shame. And what actually they say that, like, by the time they'd opened, the show was in pretty good shape. Yeah. It's just that the buzz about town was that this was just this terrible show and they were they were ready for Sondheim and Hal Prince to have a failure. Yeah. Like that they were it was like Primed. the vultures sitting waiting to pounce, God. right? Um and so it What's closes so- Sorry to interrupt you. What is so distressing though is that this is not a failure of a musical. No. And like I will say that, you know, the thing that – no one has ever denied that the score is glorious. Like that's never been the issue. The issue has – I think has been how it's performed. Yeah. And also the book. Like um, and clearly that was an issue with that original production. And I think even Sondheim is quite aware of that now. 
like like it, when you read that um, finishing the hat book of all the shows that I've looked through that book, like it has the most changes in yeah. it because he shows like the original lyrics and the change lyrics. Yeah. And so it's quite interesting. Jeez. Um, so the show is then reworked in 1985 for a production at La Jolla Playhouse directed by James Lapine. Um, and hmm. and so basically like that's when they sort of figure out Started, yeah. casting slightly older people. Hmm. Um, and it is that version that's performed off-Broadway in 1994 and that like becomes the licensed version, yeah. that York Theatre production in 1994. There's also a cast recording of that production. Um it's done in 2012 at Encores at City Centre. Um, there's also a cast recording of that production. That one's the one with Lin-Manuel Miranda yeah. as Charlie, Colin Donnell as Frank and Celia Keenan-Bulger mm. as Mary. It's quite a good recording. It is. And like it's like I if think I've mentioned Lynn. before the orchestrations are very up to date and all that sort of thing. So I quite, I quite like that recording. Yeah. Um, it is also done in London in 2012 at the Meunier Chocolate Factory. Yeah, it was. Um, and that version was filmed and released at cinemas. Um, and I think I've told this story before on a different episode, but when I saw that at the movies at the um, Chevelle in Paddington, this is Was like that back with Mandy Patinkin? Mandy Patinkin was there. I love that. <laughs> he that was, was on tour in Australia yeah. and he went and saw Merrily We're All Along. Fucking love him. In Paddington at the cinema. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, so it was done – 2019 off-Broadway um, at the Roundabout Theatre Company. It was presented by Fiasco Theatre, who are a resident company. Hmm. So I've mentioned them before because they did a version of Into the Woods some years ago, which I also saw off-Broadway. And what their kind of thing is like cutting it right down to a small cast. Like that's what they did with Into the Woods. Yeah. They also did it. I actually think it worked a lot better with Merrily than it did with Into the Woods. Yeah, Into the Woods is a bit tough to do that. One of the like issues that. with Into the Woods was that um, they didn't have a band at all. So it was like mm. they kind of had someone playing piano as part of the cast and then them kind of doing percussion and stuff. Yeah. But this had an actual little band playing. Yeah, right. Um, Interesting. But they also cut it down to just one act with no interval oh. and a lot of the ensemble stuff was cut out. Right. Um, it was also like not that main licensed version. So like for example, uh, most of the time now you open with that Frank and that song is called That Frank. Yeah, yeah. And they went back to opening with Rich and Happy, which was the original oh. opening number. So, yeah, there was some interesting stuff there. But I, I, I did like the production a lot. Yeah. Um, I When I saw it um, last year in 2019, it was funny. I was in New York and, and actually like a bunch – I was there for work, but a bunch of our friends were there at the same time. And um, our friend Josh and I saw it together. And just Josh like just nerded out. Love. But also – um, it happened to be Sondheim's birthday that we were singing. So it was his 89th birthday. And so we didn't sort of realise this, but because of it was his birthday, the, the Cabaret Club 54 Below was doing like a late night like show that was like a song. It was all women doing Sondheim oh. songs. And so we saw Merrily We Roll Along and then we walked up to 54th Street and went to this Sondheim show at 54 Below that was at 11.30 so at night. Good. Yeah, And so we just had like – the nerdiest Sondheim evening oh, and it yeah. was excellent. But, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed that fiasco production. And I think I've mentioned to you before but it also sort of turned on my head how Frank and Charlie need to be cast. Yeah, like in, how important that is. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, but like in the Meunier production, um, I would say that – and I have to say like if you can get your hands on that Meunier. <gasps> so good. It's so good. I wish there was a cast recording to be honest. Featuring um, – the amazing Australian, yeah, Damien, Damien Humbley as yeah. Charlie. But he like, was so good. The way that um, the way that that one is cast, it's very much like Frank is super handsome and like mm -hmm. charming and that sort of thing, and Charlie's like nerdy and yeah. like whatever. And that is the way that it's traditionally cast, and that's not how this fiasco theatre one was really done. Yeah, and I was kind of like, oh, it's it's actually just more about the spirit of the character. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. Yeah, it I seems really like liked a bit of a that about out. it. I yeah. really liked that about it. Well, also it makes the rivalry a bit more interesting if they're not necessarily – Exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Mm. Um, there is a film being made. Um, <gasps> do you know about is. this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Richard Linklater, who people might know, sort of did a similar thing with the film Boyhood where it was filmed over quite a long period of time. Wasn't it like 12 years? Something like that, yeah. So that the like the child in Boyhood literally yeah. ages Grew as up. it goes. So this is going to be done with um, Blake Jenner as Frank, Ben Platt as Charlie and Beanie Feldstein as Mary um, and they're going to film it over just over a decade. Um, filming a little bit each year is their plan. 
Um, yeah, so that's great. I love that idea. Yeah, it's very cool. And I also want to mention, like speaking of Beanie Feldstein, that they do it in the movie Lady Bird. They do it as their school musical and, and she also plays Mary in that. Yes. The character plays Mary in the school musical. And I just love that film and I feel like it was made for me. Well, as soon as – because we – we knew that we were going to love that film and then as soon as Marilu Roll Along was in it, we were like, holy shit. I know. Oh, I just love it. Yeah. Um, Greg I, al- I also want to mention, and I've seen this documentary so many times. Yeah, I've it's recomm- on Netflix. I've recommended it before on this podcast, but <laughs> best worst thing that ever could have happened on Netflix. I watched it again this week. Yes. <laughs> because of course I did. It's but so it, good. It is a documentary about that original cast and sort of how the they were production. so young. Um, how they were so young when it happened. and What I love is hearing how much the show meant to them. Yeah. And it meant a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting because like that original Broadway cast, like I'm going to name a bunch of people who've gone on to really great things, but then you look at the rest of the cast and mm. for a lot of them it was their only Broadway credit. Yeah. Like they were like, 16 17 and that's the only show they've ever done Mm. and it's sort of they've gone on to other lives but they have that this moment yeah so but i will say that the original broadway cast featured most famously jason alexander yeah of course went on to play george costanza on seinfeld um liz calloway who we've talked about before um giancarlo esposito who people would know as gus fring in breaking bad and um Tonya Pinkins, who's obviously like yeah. gone through a lot of very successful like musicals and and screen. Lonnie Price, who was the original Charlie, who directs the the doco and has gone on to be a very successful director himself. Yeah. And Daisy Prince, Hal Prince's son, who directed Songs for the World and Daughter. Uh, sorry, son, daughter. That's <laughs> it. Um, so, couple of nerdy music things. Ready. Um, in finishing the hat, Sondheim talks about how because the book, not the song. <laughs> Finishing the hat, the book, yes. (laughs) Sondheim talks about how because the show moves backwards, the reprises come before the actual songs. Yes, I love that. So, for example, Not a Day Goes By is the upset, sort of bitter song. Um, that gets sung when Beth and Frank are divorcing, mm. but then a beautiful love song as their vows when they get married later in the show when yeah. they're younger. So you hear first, you hear the really like upset version, and then it's not till later you hear the beautiful. Yeah, whereas yeah. obviously it would normally be the other way around. Yeah. Um, I love that. It also means that there are some vocal lines which are sung later, um, but they are accompaniments like earlier in the show. Um, for when the characters themselves are older kind of Mm. thing. So there's like literal kind of like those lines are like in the score, but we don't hear them as as actual vocal lines until later Mm. in the show. Sometimes. I know. (laughs) Um, He said that it was his most difficult score to write. I'll bet. It's it's genius. It really is. He also notes in that book that Franklin Shepherd Inc., another fantastic song, Such a good song. is an example of his um, penchant for writing nervous breakdown songs. <laughs> it's so true. And I have to say that like th- like when he – It's re- like, like getting these- married. Yeah. So he uh, the songs that he was – I'm like, oh, these are some of my favourite Sondheim songs. But, yeah, uh, um, Getting Married Today, Rose's Turn, yes. Epiphany. Yeah. Like these are some of my favourite Sondheim – and he's right. They're all nervous breakdown songs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He also talks about how although many of his characters contain elements of him as a person, they basically never contain actual events that happen to him. Mm. So in that sense, like Merrily is his like sort of the closest to who he was as a person. Yeah. Because, for example, Good Thing Going, in which Frank and Charlie are forced to perform their songs at a noisy party, um, is actually drawn from his real life. He would often have to do that like for backers and stuff. I at, love that. Or a bunch like rich snobs. Um, similarly, Opening Door genuinely reflects the experiences of him, Hal Prince and Mary Rogers. So Mary Rogers, of course, is Richard Rogers' daughter, who's also a composer. She wrote Once Upon a, Once Upon a Mattress yeah. and she's also Adam Gettle's mother. Like it's like a whole – Oh, Jesus, yeah. dynasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Man. so they were, they were, those three were really close friends and it, it's like specifically their life. So Opening Doors is this great song which is like – Three young people like taking on New York and all the challenges that they Love meet um, as young, young creatives. Um, so, a couple of things I want to talk about. Do you think it works on stage? I've only seen the Menier yep. production, and yes. Yeah, so I agree. I think that now we've gotten to the point where, like, that version, yes. the Menier version, it does work. It works really well. Yeah. In fact, my. So, Shane watched it with me. 
and he's not like he's not a huge mad Sondheim fan mm. and he'll be the first one to be like I cannot no I can't can't deal with the staging and he loved it yeah like, he loved it from start to finish and I thought it was going to be a bit maybe heavy going or a bit repetitive for him and yeah it wasn't I also think that like they kind of nail it with the ages of the people who are playing. Like I think oh, like thirties is the way to go. Yeah. Like they can, mid to late thirties. Yes. Yep, I agree with that. Um one thing I will say, like, do you think it's an issue that it's so specifically of a time? So like No. You have to set it yeah. in those years, right? Well, I think now we're far enough away from those years for it to be It's like, like a proper a piece. period piece. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I understand that then it may have been like it would have quickly dated yeah. then. But now it's like a yeah, it's a proper so, historical. So piece. my only concern would be say like a song like Bobby and Jackie and Jack, which yeah. is about the Kennedys, right? Yeah. Like as we go on, it is going to have like less and less significance to the people watching the show. Yeah. So see, for- I'm like a I'm obsessed with Bobby Kennedy, so yeah. that will always be relevant to me. Have you watched? Is there a doco on Netflix about him? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, it's really great. Oh, I've watched it. Okay. <laughs> Um, I was going to say because I, I was, it really reminded me when I saw Billy Elliot in Australia recently. and Yeah, it's so of its time. Yeah, isn't a friend it? of mine, um, like a, a younger friend of ours, I was thinking about her and I was like, she'd have no idea about those like mining strikes in the UK in the, in the 80s, you know, no. like, yeah, Thatcher. What does Ma- Margaret Thatcher yeah. mean to the average 20 year old? So you know? true. That's so true. So I, I guess that's my only concern now is it's like you, you would need like an explainer in the program about but, who I mean, everyone is. How pivotal, how pivotal are those like in, in terms of like Bobby Jack and Jackie, um, how pivotal is it to know actually what that's referencing? Look, you know it probably I mean? isn't, but I guess it would just be like things like Sputnik, right? Like oh, the yeah. show ends with them watching the launch watching Sputnik, of, yeah. of, of Sputnik and it's like like trying to spot it in the in the sky. What is that? Yeah, and people being like, I don't know what that is, you know? Yeah. Um, I have to say though, so in terms of relevance to like issues, the original play was about – the rise of capitalism from the end of World War One into the Depression, like that's when it was set. Like, mm. um, and the original production was similarly like after Nixon and Watergate and leading mm. into the me generation, like leading into the eighties. Yeah. And my feeling is it could be time for another revival if we're talking about similar like world events. Oh, this is we're primed right? and ready. It's yeah. the same historical time, isn't it? Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. Um, so some I reckon ga- sometime would be up to that. I like, reckon so. Let's get him on the job. Do it. Um, so some gateway songs. Ready. I've put the overture again. You're such a loser. Stop <laughs> it. Wait. Look, I love the overture, but don't make them listen to an overture. Oh, it's so good. You're funny. Um, I have put the song Opening Doors. Yep, yep, um, that's nice. Because I really believe that that's like a great sort of example of the three young creatives and, you know, trying to yeah. make their way in the world. Very bright-eyed. And I have put the finale Our Time. Oh, my which God. Is just, we have to. Yeah, it's just one of these songs. And Josephine will attest to this, but pretty much like – the opening chords start and I start crying. It, like, And she's not an emotional person. No, like, it, but it just that song, <laughs> like you've gone through the whole show and it is a happy ending in the show it's because it's ending. like a, they're all like it's them meeting for the first but time. But you're just devastated because you know where they end up. You know what's coming <laughs> because basically, you know, you've seen their relationship be disintegrated at yeah. the start of the show and then like slowly build itself yeah. as we've gone on through the show. So, <laughs> but it is such a beautiful song, Our Time. So good. Yeah. Um, so the recordings that are available, um, the original Broadway cast is on Spotify. It was recorded the day after the show closed. Oh. oh stab me in the heart. Oh. Oh. Uh, that 1994 off-Broadway cast yeah. is available and the 2012 Encores cast, those are all available on Spotify. Wish um, we had the... Many yeah, well, they didn't do a cast recording. So upsetting. I know. Um, I think that was a huge mistake. I agree. <laughs> but yeah, um, Where definitely. Where can we watch that pro shot? When? Where? Uh, so it, it definitely was on Broadway HD, but the thing with Broadway HD is they like sometimes they take things off for a Ugh. period. Like they only have licenses for certain amounts yes. of time. Yes. Um, it definitely was on there. Okay. So I don't know right now might do some searching yeah it might be one of those ones like in some places where you can like buy it on amazon for period like you know there's all those things but it's worth it guys like if you can find it it's really great yeah and it's such a beautiful show um and it makes me cry and i love it I can't believe you've actually waited this long to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. isn't it? Like I'm, I'm surprised you talked about Sweeney Todd first. Yeah. I mean I, I got to the point where I talked about 
wanting to play Mary on a mixtape before we even. Yes. Oh, you would be <laughs> such covered, a good Mary. With, oh, it's like my like number one dream role. Oh, anyway. I like Now You Know. Yeah, that's a great song. Such a good song. They're all good songs. They really are. Yeah, I love oh, them all. Um, yep. I also love It's a Hit. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, yeah so many good songs. Yeah, and oh. lots of more like um, talk about the theatre and yep. what it is to be successful in the theatre. Yeah. I always love that in shows. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's Merrily. That was good. Thank you. Mm. Um well, we've got a mixtape on Thursday. We do. Tune in for the mixtape. Uh, please like us on Instagram, rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Um, please like us, like emotionally and also physically on those Ooh. podcast apps. Physically like us. <laughs> physically like Tell us. Tell friends. Tell friends. Share it. Whatever you want to – well, not whatever you want to do. Just do something. <laughs> Just do <laughs> something. Do something and, for um, us. We'll see you soon. No, we're not going to see you soon. You will hear from us on Thursday. You're so specific. (laughs) Bye. Bye.